Salam and hello, Nairobi. Welcome to Uproot. I'm so delighted you're here. I'm glad you persevered in traffic to make it here on Jamhuri Eve at the beautiful Village Market. Thank you so much for being here at the live anniversary show. Thank you so much for being here. I should not have danced because now I'm out of breath. <laughs> that doesn't sound as nice when you're listening in your ear. Um, welcome to Uproot and for being a part of this year of conversations. And I hope what has also been connections, maybe some questions, maybe some relationships that have grown as a result of some of the stories that we have had the privilege to tell. And so tonight is no different. I am just delighted to have these incredible human beings here to share their stories with us. So before we get started, let me ask you, how many of you identify with more than one religion or practice of faith? How many of you would say, yes, I could be Catholic and Protestant, or Muslim and Hindu, or Christian and Buddhist? How many of you would say, yeah, more than one faith practice really does resonate with me? For me, okay, a few hands, okay? How many of you would say, in my home growing up, or in my day-to-day -day life, I engage with more than one language? Perhaps you're Kiswahili in English, or Amharic and Tigrinya, or Spanish and quite Kiswahili. How many of you would say more than one language is familiar to me? Wow, look at that. That's like a majority of the room. And then how many of you would say racially that you identify with more than one ethnic or racial group? Maybe you're biracial, or you're growing up in a multiracial home, or maybe you've just lived so many places you don't know what you are anymore, and you're just happy to be here. So how many of you would say, yeah, racially I could kind of go lots of different ways? Beautiful, about a third of the room. Well, tonight's question that I'm asking is who am I? Who am I when it comes to the languages I speak, the racial and ethnic groups I identify with, and the religions that I practice or observe. And Sam, Jason, and Hawaida are all here because they have had significant life experiences that have informed their identity through these three categories. And I think in our informal survey tonight, we've already seen that that is something that is familiar to many of us, yeah? So I hope tonight you will find and hear your own story as they share some of theirs. At the end, we'll have a moment, uh, a few minutes for questions. So if they say something that you want to respond to, that you want to maybe even push back on, if you want to ask a follow-up, please do hold on to that question because we'll give you time at the end to engage with our panelists, um, if that sounds okay, yeah? All right, Bukachi, we're good on sound? One sound check, let's do one sound check. So Sam, why don't I start down there? If you want to say your name, the city you were born right. in, and we'll just make sure we're good on sound. Hello, hello, Sam Amende, born in Nairobi. We're good? All right. All right. Hi, this is Hueda, born in Nairobi. <laughs> and this is Jason, born in Nairobi. All right, born in Nairobi. This is Lily, born in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. <laughs> All right, we're good? All right, cool. All right, so let's dive right in. You've told us where you were born, but maybe what would be really useful, in addition to the CVs that Shaz has already shared with us, I'd like to each of you to just say your names again and just tell us a brief sentence or two of how you introduce yourselves now. When you meet somebody for the first time, they have no idea who you are. Tell us that line or two that helps you identify yourself to a new friend or a new stranger, yeah? Sam, I'm gonna ask you to go first as well. Introduce yourself, tell us how you connect with others. Yes. Um, your name is Sam. Yeah, my name is Sam. <laughs> okay. What, I actually like the way in, in the flyer I was introduced as husband and father, because so often I'm tied to what I do or what I, 
I, you know, what I'm currently doing or what I did before. And so I'm here with my wife, Nali, who's in the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I have a son who's uh, 18 months old. So that's, um, that's probably my proudest identity. So I'll stick with that for now. Welcome, Sam. Let's welcome Sam to the show. Hmm, so how do I introduce myself nowadays? Um, hi, I'm Hueda, and uh, I keep it brief. I'm a Kenyan Muslim woman, and I live in Nairobi. And that's usually then opens the door to a lot more questions after that. Welcome, Hueda. Let's welcome her. So I say, my name is Jason Dunford. Wengine wananijua kama samakimku. <laughs> and I uh, currently doing music, but I used to swim a little bit. Used to swim a little <laughs> bit. He used to be a fish and now he's a rapper. All right, welcome. Let's welcome Jason to the show. All right, so let's dive right in. You know, I, I, we could have asked almost anyone in this room to be on this panel tonight. But in part, the reason I've asked Sam and Hoyt is because we're friends. We have a relationship. Sam is like my kid brother. I've known him since he was like 15. So, um, you know, he really didn't have an option but to say yes when I asked him. But Jason and I actually just met tonight. He's just going on faith here, this whole thing. He's just shown up out of the goodness of his heart, and uh, Sam connected us, and he could walk out at any time, should he change his mind about being here on the show, and that would be fair. Uh, <laughs> not yet. We, 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 no, 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 no. We, we, I have a good question for you. Um, but... The reason I mentioned the relationship is because so many times how we identify or how we understand identity is the relationship. You know, I can look at all of you and make assumptions, but once I know you and we have a relationship and a friendship, those assumptions become truth based on what you share with me about your lives. So Sam, I'd like to hear from you first. You were born in Nairobi, but it's not where you spent a majority of your life. And as we've talked, or maybe that's not a fair story, but you've spent a good bit of your life elsewhere. And, and as we've talked, one of the things that you talked about is that how language is something that can root somebody to their identity, to their people, to their culture. But that wasn't exactly your story. So tell us a little bit about your experiences with language coming up and, and how that's kind of shaping who you are now. Yes. Um, thanks, Lily. Uh, so I was born in, in Nairobi, as, as stated, and then I ended up in a boarding school, an American boarding school, RVA, in Kijabe, um, which was a great kind of unique experience, but it was a bubble. Um, and learning my mother tongue, actually my dad's Kenyan, my mom's Ugandan, so the mother tongue would be Luya and Luganda, if you were to learn that, and then Swahili, of course. So I should have had four or five languages coming up in my house. Um, I ended up really only knowing English. Uh, and, you know, in, in my boarding school, I thought actually it was, it, was, it was more, at the time, it seemed more interesting or global to learn Spanish and French. So I took all those languages and, and don't test me on any of those. Um, so, so language was actually a bit interesting because at first it was like, okay, uh, local language is great, but if I want to go global, these are the languages to learn. Um, and it was always the way I kind of connected where I wanted to, to be. It's actually been a sore spot in my kind of identity, right? So, so um, a lot of times people hear the accent, they're like, oh, you know, you're Kenyan, but you have this kind of Muzungu thing going on with your accent. So usually the easiest way to turn that around is to, to start speaking Swahili, start speaking Luya, you know, and then they're like, oh, okay, okay, okay. So, so I didn't have that card to play. 
I have a very broken Swahili that it, when I speak it in necessary situations, my wife cringes like badly. <laughs> She's like, just, you'd rather not say anything at all. So that, that's kind of my language experience. Or, or it's interesting, we talked about the code switching that you can do to put on a Kenyan accent, which is very bad as well, um, but sometimes gets the point across and communicates what you need to do if you're in you know, Kisumu with a taxi driver or whatever. Um, so it's been an interesting kind of reoccurring theme of if I get this, it will lock down that, you know, it will give me more credibility. And there's actually the times I regret it more now is, is we talked about the play Too Many for Words and there's some nuances. Too early, too early for birds. Too early for, yeah, even, I'm also even dyslexic. Even English is a struggle. Even, even English Even is, English, is but tough, yes. you lose. <laughs> It sounded right. You lose some of those nuances in news and in plays like that, and you're like, sometimes I have to ask, hey, what did that say? What did he say again? So it's, it's a reoccurring thing, but sometimes you get those deeper connections with language easier and faster. So that's also a common way to tie, tie in your identity. Yeah. No, thanks, Sam, for that. That's such a, it's so interesting that you point out kind of going into university or even in high school and wanting to learn those global languages, because we noticed on some of our university tours with our eldest, hi, Sela, this summer that so many schools are not offering Kiswahili. When we went to Howard, they were offering Amharic, I think even Tigrinya. I mean, they were, there is now this kind of resurgence, or maybe it's the first time, maybe it's not a resurgence, but a surgence, <laughs> of these languages that are not always mainstream as we consider them. So interesting, we'll, we'll come back to that, but thank you for sharing that. Um, Hoida, tell us a little bit about you. you um, Shaz already pointed it out when she's introducing you. You came up in a secondary school that was Catholic. In your description, you talk about how you are many things, part uh, Indian, part Somali, fully Kenyan. And I loved how you said it. You said visibly Muslim. What does that mean to you? So um, growing up in a multi-ethnic household, I think the thing that was, um, other than language, the thing that was unifying for us, and so the core of everything was actually the faith factor. And it's interesting because I went on to marry somebody from America and from a completely different culture as well, but then the thing that has always kept us united has been the faith. So I think that's always been my strongest sort of bedrock. Um, it was interesting to go to uh, a strongly Catholic school for four years and sort of be immersed in this different kind of religion my longest and closest friend is a Hindu. Um, that surprised a lot of people as well as an adult when I, I and I didn't realize that as a child. Um, so I've, I've been surrounded by people of faith, but different faiths. And I think that exposure though um, helped me ground myself because I saw how much it defined people and I forever sought to find the positive in that. Um, there's a lot of negative when it comes to religion, and so a lot of people move away from even speaking about faith, at least in this time. Um, but for me, it has always been sort of that strength, that rooting, wherever I am in the world, people that I've met, we've instantly connected because of the shared faith. We didn't even have to explain to each other, we didn't have to speak the same language, but that has been such a strong connecting factor enhance an identity for me. And you know, and you, and that term visibly, you know, you wear the hijab, and so that 
distinguishes you immediately to people or identifies you in some way to people immediately. I was really struck by this idea when we are visibly identifiable to others. You know, there are a few things we all wear that people can see, perhaps our gender, our, our racial identity. And, but faith, for, every, for many people, is not public. It is very private. It's something that we hold close. And so in a public expression and demonstration of your faith, you've, in, some, in some ways it invites, I'm sure, questions that you are not necessarily encouraging, but it invites it nonetheless. And so we'll come back to that because you travel the world and I know you have some stories to tell, <laughs> but thank you for being here. I remember hearing first about Jason, actually not about your swimming, it was your rapping that I heard about first, um, which may strike those of you who are actually Kenyans as odd because you would have, this is a more recent turn in his career. But tell us a little bit about your history in Kenya. Um, and I've asked you here, for those of us, for people who are just listening, they're not obviously going to see you, but I've asked you here because you are born and raised in Kenya, you carried the Kenyan flag in the Olympics, but you're not a black Kenyan. And for many people like me who are guests in this country, that sometimes stands out more than anything else in your identity. So take a minute and just tell us your history with Kenya, and um, maybe at the end just touch on how race is something that maybe is present with you um, in that identity. Yeah, uh, great. Um, yes, so I am Kenyan. I have two Kenyan-born parents. Of course, they were born pre-independence in Kenya. And I actually have a Kenyan-born grandmother um, who was born here in 1924. So my family's been in this country for a long time. My ancestor, first ancestor, I think, came in 1902. Um, and so I was born Kenyan. I did not have another nationality. And I'm just thankful that as a white Kenyan family that the founding fathers of Kenya invited families like mine to stay on and build a multiracial Kenya. Of course, I think a lot of families did not take out that mantle, but my family did, and hence why I ended up being born here to Kenyan-born parents. Um, deep love for this country. My family's had a deep love for this country, invested a lot in this country and of ourselves. And I was very proud to be up there representing Kenya internationally for 10 years. Um, and uh, of course, raised a lot of questions all over the world. There's not, you can't possibly be Kenyan. I'm like, but I am, it's actually the facts. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's, it's been quite an interesting journey. Um, I just feel very blessed to have been able to live this life and continue to live it. And yes, it's rather a unique situation to be in, I guess. You, you've pointed out the lineage, the grandmother, the parents, now you. Um, and yet your skin is still white, even you've been here a long time. You guys have not browned up at all. Um, <laughs> we wish you luck, though, in that journey, in that quest. But tell me, how then do you navigate spaces where... Walking into Trademark today, for example, someone would assume I'm the Kenyan before you. Um, and similarly to Hoeda, you must also have exchanges that then invite questions or curiosities. What's your, do you have a standard response that you give people when they ask or inquire more deeply about how are you a Kenyan? Do I have a standard response? Um, I don't get it so much since my swimming career, because often people will recognize me. <laughs> so and will express their pride in, in what I did for Kenya, so uh, in athletics and being an ambassador for this nation in the world. So it actually doesn't come up all that much. 
but previously I suppose it, it did a little bit, but I was much younger then, so I didn't really have a great handle on it because you know, I started swimming internationally when I was 17 years old. So these ideas around identity and race, I was just like, well, I'm Kenyan and I'm representing my country at swimming. That was kind of where my mind was at. Um, and I was on a very a multiracial swim team for Kenya. You know, our relay team at the All-Africa Games, we had a, uh, a, a swimmer from the Jain community. We had a Muslim swimmer from Mombasa, um, but, uh, you know, black Muslim from Mombasa, and then myself, and also my brother was a swimmer. So, you know, we certainly, even at, uh, we were very proud that we were showing that diversity out there, and I think it definitely made us stronger as, as a team and pulling together. So let, let me expand my question maybe a little bit differently then. At what point, or maybe, maybe you haven't had this point, but did, there, did you ever have a point where you looked around and said, yes, I'm Kenyan, we have mm. this history here, but there is something different or unique about my family compared to you know, my a neighbors? Absolutely. Yeah, so what, yeah. Was, when was that moment for you? I mean, I suppose since I was in school and when we'd be at uh, primary school, and again, you know, diverse, a racially diverse class and going around and I'd be like, yeah, I'm Kenyan. And then I'd be like, are you really? And I'm like, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to ask my parents what I am really. So yeah, there's, I think there's conversations of that kind of exploration, maybe started then. Some primary but, school. Yeah. Okay, okay. Sam, how about you? When you think about language, was there a moment, I know you were in boarding school, but was there a moment where you felt language became a gap between you and your fellow Kenyans. Anytime you, you went home on vacation, well, there's two extremes. One, when you go up country, you get abused. Because, um, <laughs> you know, your uncle, oh, you can't speak to your grandmother, you can't speak to your, you, you try to take safety in numbers and stay next to your siblings who probably don't know um, your mother tongue as well. So you learn the greetings and then quickly run away when the conversation gets thick. So, so that's one one side, and then and then in uh, Nairobi, um, yeah, definitely the Swahili thing. Um, it, you get away with English now more, more, more and more. It's more just kind of for the a lot of the nuances, and and you can connect with people a little bit uh, better. I mean, we have a lot of staff, and 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 uh, that that especially on construction sites. There's some moments where it, it is very useful to have that, and so. Um, well, in Nairobi, is so unique. I don't think this is necessarily true of other neighboring Swahili-speaking countries per se. That Swahili then morphs into Sheng, and Sheng is constantly evolving. Am I right, Nairobians? So even from Matatu stop to Matatu stop, or one side of town to the other, the Sheng can be quite unique. And so even keeping up with it, I'm sure for those who speak fluently, must, you know, you must always have to stay with it. So for you, as language evolves in Nairobi, the, the language that you do know, at some point do you say, okay, I'm going to just, you know, focus on classical Swahili and get yeah. that down, or do you focus yeah. on the, you know, James Kuchuru side of town, yeah. Shang, or what, what do you do to... Yeah, you, so, so in fact, my wife kind of picks it up because there's someone I grew up Maybe with. Maybe we should have had your wife on. Yeah, the show. she's much better. Yeah, she's much better her. than me. So, so when when I do speak a very bad Swahili, she's like, "Oh, you learned." There's a person who helped raise me who speaks a very broken Swahili, and she's like, "Oh my goodness, your 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 lack of conjunctions, your disrespect of verbs comes from that <laughs> uh, person who was in your household. How she she butchers her swa," and I'm like, "Okay."
you pick up stuff from music, you know, a Nishinsky song or a, uh, XYZ show, you know, you, you pick up stuff everywhere and you, you use it. Because I went to this missionary boarding school, my shang was also very outdated. So we came. And very Christian and clean, yeah. I'm sure. It was very clean yeah. shang. Yes. So even friends who came back, they're like, you know, you know, uh, mambo, whatever shang we use, we get, you know, heavy rolling of eyes saying, what school did you go to with your head? So, so keeping up with that, I think Jason maybe in your music has, have, have better, uh, more recent shang to drop. But we, we really got like opening line, picking up someone, you were shut down like, wow, these guys are really muzungu and bad in their shang. So anyway. As I'm listening to Sam speak, I, I'm thinking about the times where I will meet somebody on the phone for the first time and then I show up professionally. And if they know me as Lily Piper and then I walk in as Lily Bakala Piper, they have a moment. You know, they take a moment to just gather themselves and connect the dots. I talked about this at Datasphere that the lovely Valentine and Jeroge uh, curates here to give us spaces to tell our stories about how important names are. For you, when you walk into a room and people just know you as Dr. Bulan Betts, and you show up in Vienna, or you show up in Russia, where she travels to because she's a boss. When you show up in those spaces, what is the first reaction you usually get? There's usually a little bit of a hesitation. They don't know then how to proceed. Um, a lot of people seem surprised if they haven't seen my picture before. Um, and there's hesitation. So it always prompts me to make the first move. That's that's. Stand by the... What do you mean by the first move? What do you mean? Extend a hand, give a handshake, you know, say the hello, introduce myself, smile, um, <laughs> and try and put people at ease. Um, but certainly, you know, it, it's, I can see it, and it's, it's everywhere, um, even in certain parts of, of Africa. And they don't know how to take it. And sometimes I'm not sure whether it is who they're expecting because of my professional role in terms of gender, in terms of ethnicity, in terms of religion. I'm never sure, but I, I know I, I'm carrying all of that. And, and as we talked about being visibly Muslim, as I started, because I didn't grow up wearing a headscarf. And, do you mind um, sharing when that shift happened for you? When I was 25. But my, my journey of introspection and sort of self-discovery started when I was about 23, and that's when I actually really started um, questioning who am I and how do I want to show up in the world. And so when I made the decision to start dressing differently, that was a huge shift. And I was so focused on my personal journey and what it was giving me and what fulfillment and what I was figuring out internally that I had not stopped to think about what would change externally with people as they were interacting with me. And it was interesting because I suddenly lost a lot of friends. Really? Yes. Um, no, wait, let me, let me just stop there, because mm -hmm. you're 23, 20, 23, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. you're now an adult, a young adult. These yes. are not children yes. in the primary schools that Jason was mm -hmm. in who would be shocked mm -hmm. by something mm -hmm. like this. So what, what do you think for them shifted when you started to wear the hijab? Why do you think? Um, again, I, it's, it's the same hesitation. And so a lot of people would be like, would I be socially comfortable in certain spaces? If people are gonna have a party, would now 
I be comfortable in that space? Would they be comfortable having me in, you that, in that space? space yeah. You know, as you know, people would say in, in would tell me in, in Kiswahili and crack jokes, oh meokoka, you know, you got saved. Um, and and a good friend, and and he he was a good friend. Um, sadly, he's actually passed away. But at that time, we had not seen each other just because um, of where we got posted for internship, and then where we were working afterwards. Um, and I was working outside of Nairobi. But one day, we connected over phone, and we were chit chatting. And out of the blue, he said, "Are you still wearing that thing on your head?" Mm. <laughs> and that really took me aback. But it was, it was something that I completely was oblivious to, um, but have learned to address head on. The more comfortable I got in how I am appearing and presenting myself, then I learned that it makes, I have to make people feel that it's okay. But it does open up a lot of questions, which I always welcome. I think that says a lot about who you are, that you welcome those questions, because it can be fatiguing to help other people navigate your identity. You know, everyone has their own journey, but then to have to help somebody else steer their ship because of what you are or who you are takes a certain grace, and I'm so grateful we're friends. You continue to teach me what that means, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. JC, you know, Hoida talks about this um, experience for her, and it makes me think back to you, and also connected to Sam's story, too, a bit, about. Swahili and, and what's visible to people. And while Swahili obviously is something that people hear, it can be a quick identifier for you in a social space or in a professional space. You speak Swahili, you rap in Swahili. In fact, what does sumaki moku mean? Is it clean? Can you say it on air? Okay, you gotta be there. It means the big fish. Well, muku has connotations beyond big because oh, like Okay, wazir. stop, stop there, stop there. I feel like we're gonna go off into another direction. Okay, but this means a fish. A nice fish, like a whale. Like yeah, a this is a big history. Like we did that. Okay, yeah, I see it, I see it. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, did you, I'm just curious, for you, was Swahili always a part of your life? Were you raised with it? Did you at some point realize when those kids were like, hey, are you Kenyan, that, okay, now I need to learn? Tell me your, your relationship with Swahili. So, yes, raised with it, spoke it as a child, but subsequently went overseas to school, so was really not speaking a lot of Swahili. And language fades when you don't practice. So actually, the epiphany came when I first won, won my first medal um, at the Africa Championships, Kenya's first swimming medal at a, con at a continental event. Came back to JKA, and the press was there to meet me. And there was, of course, the English press and the Swahili press. And I was like, oh, how am I going to get through this? And I. I think I bumbled my way through, a few, and I was like, I need to fix this. If I'm going to be representing Kenya, I need to have a solid handle on our national language. So I actually went back to Stanford. You mentioned that's where I did my university in America, and they offered Swahili. So I enrolled in Swahili class for two years with a Kenyan professor who was there. I, I basically did a minor in Swahili. And by the next competition the following year, in, um, the reporters were shocked by the change. <laughs> so it definitely was something that I, I deliberately said, I need, to, I need to fix this. This is a problem right here, that I'm, and I'm going to do what I can and what's in my power to uh, overcome this. Yeah. Well done to you, yeah. 
what you can't change externally, you can do, yeah, internal work, right? All of us, all of us can do the internal work about our identity. On some level, there are things that afford us privilege in this life. Economics affords us privilege. Race affords us privilege. Gender affords us privilege. I overheard uh, Hoida's sister and a friend talking earlier, and they're both physicians. And they were saying, how many times were you called a nurse this week? And they're both doctors. And they both were laughing and saying, yeah, more than once. More than once this week, I've been called a nurse. So gender obviously carries with it privilege. So Jason, in this country, how do you put down that privilege to really, like you said, you wanted to build this country, and that's why your family stayed. But for someone like me that's looking at you thinking, you're always going to have a privilege that another Kenyan who's been here since the earth was founded is never going to have. They're never going to walk into a space and have the deference that you will get simply because you're white. Whether or not you've been here three generations or not, it doesn't matter. The fact is your race is a signal to others in authority, to cops on the street, to people in shops about the service you get. And so I'm curious, how do you, how do you navigate that privilege? How do you put it down? And, and what do you do about it? I know that's a heavy question, so I apologize yeah. in advance, to, to, but, I, but, but you knew that was coming. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> definitely I recognize that. Um, I, you know, I, uh, I did a, actually, I did a, a graduate degree, and during that, there was a lot of exploration about that. And uh, we did a lot around race and, and gender as well, and we had those discussions. Um, and the one thing was the Harvard Implicit Association Test. Um, which we are encouraged to take, learned a lot through that, and that um, actually allowed me to work on things myself. Um, and then, you know, it's always been a decision, Decision. okay, what, I, I realize I have this privilege, what can I use it for? How can I use it for good? Um, and that's what I try to work on every day um, with the various projects I'm doing. Um, and. I understand, I, I can't change that I'm a white male. <laughs> it's the body I was born into. Um, but what can I do with that? Um, in understanding that that is, that, it, that and I, I feel that also comes with its own responsibility. So, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very tricky question, and I don't know if there's one simple answer to it, but if I can just try to live my life by being kind to others, by trying to you know, use what, I, what I've been given to build others up as well. Um, maybe I don't get it right all the time. I'm sure I stumble many times, but I try to learn when I do. I think I really appreciate that. You know, it's, it's not for him to take the risk to be here and, and answer these questions, I, I really don't take for granted because it's a place of vulnerability for many of us um, and you're in a unique position publicly in this country. So when you do stumble, it becomes a public stumble, which is not fair or easy and yet it's the reality of your life and I appreciate that you're being conscious about that and aware of that because um, it's something I think race is something we're going to continue to have to engage with both in Kenya, if that's your home, or in other countries that we are, I think all of us are going to have to continue to, to wrestle with it. Hoida, you know, you mentioned that moment when you started to cover your head and people's reaction changed to you and even lost friends as a result, and I'm so sorry for that. When, when the Westgate attacks happened here, which brought it, there were other attacks, there were other things that happened um, in Kenya's history, but that one felt um, particularly traumatic for all of us. 
Did relationships shift after that for you? Did you were you called upon to give a response or an answer for a community that you're not connected to, and yet people would maybe make those assumptions again because of the visibility of um, how you express your faith? It's, it's a messy question I'm asking you, but um, I don't know if you had experiences then that I don't know were similar to what you had when you first started to cover your hair. So I wasn't in the country when the Westgate attack happened. I was in the U.S. And um, it was interesting because people saw it on the news, of course. Um, and yes, I, I fielded a lot of questions on that end, not only about Kenya, but certainly about Muslims. And um, I think the environment there is, is harder, actually, than the, the Kenyan space, which um, is multi-ethnic and multi-faith as well. Um, and so, yes, that was, I was put to the task quite a bit to explain a lot of things. And there were some people who were very aggressive about it. Um, there was a, a visible reaction um, with just looks, but also not so pleasant words thrown at me. Um, but there were others who were like, so let me just understand this. You seem cool. And you seem to want to identify with this faith, why, you know, you can just sort of walk away from it, right? It's messy and everybody, you know, they believe this, why would you wanna do that? A lot of the questions as well is, you know, you seem to be such a educated, independent woman, why would you follow this faith that's so backwards, that's so oppressive to women? What did you, what did women? you say? You know, um, I think they were fantastic conversations to just rectify a lot of mistruths, right? Um, and a lot of misinformation, and, and stick to separating, um, of course, extreme ideology exists in, in different forms, um, and in different people who claim to follow different faiths, but um, I think it was good opportunity to separate also what people know of Islam versus what they see represented from, let's say, Arab culture or um, Indian culture, or even African culture, and that sort of gets mixed in. So I think there were very productive conversations. Many of us who work in, in diverse environments know we carry this mantle in this time. And when we are visibly, especially the women, because the, the men can sort of navigate certain spaces and just melt away through it, but we, we get to be sort of the face, the face of it. And, but a lot of questions with this faith is so oppressive, why are you ascribing to it? But I always take it as a great opportunity for clarification and uh, information sharing. Thank you for that. Have you ever traveled anywhere outside of Kenya where you just immediately felt at home? I won't ask you about the places where you didn't, but where the, has there ever been a country where you landed and you just kind of blended in and nobody kind of blinked twice about you being a doctor, a woman, Muslim, et cetera, et cetera? Yes, interestingly, uh, the city of Khartoum. And um, I had, I try to, when I go to places which I've never visited before, I try not to carry what the media has because I know what the media has portrayed about me as a Kenyan or me as a Muslim. And I try not to go in there with any preconceived baggage, but I was very surprised to see 
very highly educated women as heads of departments, and but more so just the interaction of the space. That was the one place where nobody questioned me for the role that I had professionally, didn't question my education, didn't question my knowledge, did not question my authority. That was the first did time in my life. Did not question your authority. I, I That's felt deep. completely affirmed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many of you would like to go to that place <laughs> where your authority as a woman is just taken as fact? That's that's pretty powerful. That's pretty powerful. Um, Sam, you mentioned your little boy, Kiravo. He's such a cutie pie. Um, you're raising him now in another multilingual home. What choices are you and Nali making around language for him? In our house, we've talked about, um, you know, with our house help, Nali helping his Swahili, uh, um, and also um, the schools he go, goes to. It's, it's interesting as you think, just the experience. I mean, that's the school things always stress me out. That conversation is like 10 minutes, and yeah, I'm like, ah, because it's like, <laughs> you know, uh, you know 844 you school. Oh, okay. Does he, do you do this, this British system? Do you do the American system? you know, the cost and, and you're, you're juggling. In fact, so a lot of times you kind of look around you and you're like, okay, friends who have kids five years older, what are they doing? And you hope to kind of build that kind of social network. But um, I think for, for me, um, it's important to kind of embrace that diversity of who he is. He won't, he will, he'll be different. I, I was different from my dad. Very, he was different from his grandfather. Um, there's some stuff you lose a little bit, but some stuff you gain. And, and, and what's most important is you cherish just the culture and tradition and the language. You still have respect for it. You keep a few things. Um, but you allow, I allow my son to become his own unique identity and, and have some things that I'm like, oh, you lost hold of that, but you, you gain so much in, in that exposure. So uh, exposing him to as much as possible, I think, is, is the key for us and, and letting him navigate, choose, and learn in his own stride the way I was able to. Sam, so that's, that's beautiful. So proud of you. That's so good. He's got one kid, he's not even two, and he's like so wise. Well done to you. That's, I think that's so true. We lose something, but we gain, right? In that, in that changing of generations from time to time, our kids will gain something maybe that we felt like was a loss to us or vice versa, and I think that's really wise. Last question before we open it up to our audience to ask you, and I'm going to ask the same question and ask you each to just respond. What is your strongest anchor to your Kenyan identity. What is it that roots you? Get it? See what I did? Roots you? Okay. To your Kenyan identity. What makes you feel most Kenyan or proudly Kenyan for you? I don't know who wants to start. <laughs> I guess I'll start since I'm... Um, for me, it's probably my dad, right? So um, as a father, I think we're still pretty patriarchal in our society. So it, it's like, oh, he's the son of, and my dad's uh, Bishop Thomas Imende, and, and my dad has uh, quite a big network in the church community. He, he uh, even in our home village, he's uh, very close with the chief, the sub-chief, and um, so, so as soon as they say, oh, he's son of Bishop Imende, it's like, I don't have to say anything. That's like, uh, okay, he's 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 yeah. he's made the way. He's he's made a way. So, yeah. yeah, that's that's part of. I probably that's probably the strongest anchor to Kenya that I've been able to um, take advantage of and leverage. Thanks. 
So my strongest anchor in uh, being Kenyan, and I, and I feel so sad for Sam and his struggles, because for me, it's Kiswahili. And, you know, whether I'm meeting people in, uh, or, or hearing a family conversation in Atlanta or different parts of the world, as soon as I hear Kiswahili, and, you know, it, it just strikes that chord. Um, it lights up my heart. When I'm upset, I always get very interested because everybody thinks English is my first language, but in my head, I switch to Kiswahili. And I realize how strong that is in my identity as a Kenyan language. And I was fortunate um, because my mother grew up at the coast. So a lot of people hear my English and yeah, you know, I, I grew up getting the questions, are you Kenyan? Are you really Kenyan? Mm -hmm. You're not Ethiopian? <laughs> <laughs> we welcome you though. <laughs> um, and, and then the follow-up question is, you know, do you speak Swahili? And my response is, probably better than you, and then that shocks them, you know. But um, growing up with grandparents and an extended family that uh, was uh, from the coast, obviously, their Kiswahili is very coastal, so a lot of people get shocked, but for me, that's the one thing wherever I am in the world, I feel connected to other Kenyans through language. Mine is exactly the same. Uh, it's the language. I remember being in California, and we'd have these boozy roast get-togethers, and that was speaking in Swahili when we were there, I think made us feel most Kenyan for all of us who were there of different races, Kenyan races, yeah. It's a, they say, you know, whatever language you get angry in, I think it is, or, or shout at your kids in, that's like your mother tongue, yep, really, yep. really, really. It is. So it sounds like, you know, you guys could all probably do it in a couple of languages, but it sounds like Swahili is that, 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 that language or that home for you. Um, we probably could have done an entire show with just each one of them individually. Um, these are really deep, rich pieces of their identity, their faith, their, the language they identify with, their you know, racial identity. These are complex things, and there's no way I could do it justice in just this one show. But it was an intentional decision also to have this conversation together, because I do think so many of us do operate as many things at once. And the world might choose to engage with you as a woman, but in, for you, you are many things, right? You enter that space as being from this place or being the son of or the daughter of this, this person. And so we carry those multiple hats with us. On that note, can we give them a warm round of applause? <laughs> so if you've got a question, we probably have time for two or three. If you want to raise your hand, or it could be a comment or feedback, and Saron will come to you. So I see one over here, and then Saron, after that, we're going to go to this section. We might have to pick one or two. And then over there. Okay, sweetheart? Did you see that? All right. Hi, Janet. Hey. So I've been on this lovely podcast before, and I love it, love it, love it. Um, so to give others an opportunity to speak, I just want to commiserate with Sam. Sam, commiserations. <laughs> because... <laughs> I grew up away from Kenya and remember those, those times when we, came, when we came to visit family and I couldn't speak to them in those other languages that they wanted to engage me with and felt that 
that should be the most prime part of my identity. And so because I grew up in different places, I feel I have many identities. And I don't connect those identities necessarily with language. It's about memories for me. It's about family. It's about things other than language. But in Kenya, it's about the language very, very, very definitely. And so I just wanted to say commiserations because it was a struggle. <laughs> There are many of us in this room. How many of you would say actually that you are, maybe you're not living in, you're not Kenyan, but wherever you call home, you're not necessarily fluent in that language or part of your identity, you're not fluent. You know, that causes attention. Yeah, there's a lot of us. Let's start a club, y'all. We're gonna meet right after this downstairs at the taco joint and we're gonna make a club because there's many of us who can commiserate. Maybe we'll call it the commiserations. All right, thank you for that, Janet, thank you. Thank you for having us here today. Um, perhaps is the person in this room that knows who I did the best or the longest. I'll say the longest. Um, I'll tell My you. Younger sister. <laughs> you can identify yourself. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you things. Um, uh, so she, the hijab came later. She made the way for us. She was a woman born for this day, only born maybe 30 odd years earlier. Um, Mom is Indian from Mombasa. Dad is Somali from Kajiado. She speaks Kiswahili, English, Urdu. Gujarati, Punjabi, Kiswahili, fluently, and English. <laughs> and then married an American, and last year we were in London, studied in London, and then her child was running through the store at Marks and Spencer screaming, Chakula! <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's another interesting child. So she made the way for us, the rest of the four of us who follow her, and we thank her for it. Thank you. So I'm Nabia. Uh, it's nice to see you all. Um, I had a question for Sam. As a third culture kid myself, I found it really interesting to hear your story and like your experiences, even like relating to a lot of the things you said, especially with, with language. I come from Canada, and my parents are both Kenyan. So when you came here, like it's still like a struggle to speak Swahili. So my question to you is, how did you necessarily cope with that language barrier, and also just being a third culture kid in a place? in Kenya here. So coping as a young kid, you would run away, right? So avoidance is a key coping uh, mechanism. So you, yeah, get someone, push someone in front of you and run. So, um, but it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I think it's important to just try, open up, learn a couple things each time. Um, I've gone through many Swahili courses. I didn't make it two years, so uh, every time I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna fix this. So I go do a language course for about three months. I'm like, this is the most boring thing I've ever done, and I quit. So, 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 tr but it, 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 it goes a long way. A lot of people do appreciate, I think Kenya's very hospitable in this way. Um, I don't know how it is in Ethiopia. You might be told, just don't speak that language. But Kenya, if you, if you try a few words, like just learn and try, they're usually open. Some people will make fun of you, but it, it, I think more often than not, it works to just pick up a few, try, at least say thank you for the food, which I'm very good at in multi-languages. Um, I like that, just learn thank you for the food. That's, yeah. that's a really clever, yeah. actually, advice. Yeah. I'm a Saganalo yeah, the important parts. And so, so, and then, yeah, I think, I think try be open to it. And now you can, you can um, do languages in, in other countries. They're offering it more abroad as well. But uh, I think that uh, just being more comfortable with it and saying, then just acknowledge, say, you know, I'm trying. Uh, I used to be very defensive, very self-conscious of it. 
and uh, just kind of let go and be like, look, this is where I am. Of course, I live in Canada. I'm not as, uh, don't have to, I don't speak that language in my daily life. Therefore, it's a reality of your situation. So just be open to it and try when you're here. Yeah. Thanks, Sam. Thanks. And I think there's lots of ways to know your culture, right? It's reading the authors from Kenya, you know? It's, it's understanding the history beyond what you're just going to get in your, you know, 844 system or your other kinds. It's, it's really engaging, I think, deeply. You know, that's, that shows your patriotism, I think, just, just as much, too. Yeah, okay. We're going to come back to this side. We're going to bounce back here, and we're going to come back for sure. I saw four hands there, but we're going to go to Valentine. Hi, I'm Valentine Joroge. I'm the founder of Datasphere. Hey, I see some speakers. (laughs) As a Kikuyu woman and as a Christian woman, I struggle with two aspects of my identity. Charlie's one of my closest friends. I was like, which part of my identity do you think matters the most? He said Kikuyu. And he's right. But I'm not very proud of our history. Like some of it I'm proud of, some of it I'm not. Christians have treated the world badly and women in particular. So how do you, I think, make peace? Like Jason, your people's history in this country is not fantastic. Um, (laughs) What, are we sugarcoating? Um, No, no, let's keep it real. So, um, and even like being a Muslim woman, there's some of that history that's not amazing. So how do you, is it make peace with it or live with it? Like... Yeah, it's something I'm struggling with. Thank you. That's, that's a great question. I wish I would have asked that question myself. <laughs> that's a good one. Jason, you want to take it first and then why don't we? Um, I think part of it for me is to actually understand my, my own history. Who were the people who preceded me? How did they equip themselves? I know that white people in general in Kenya, and I, can't, I don't, of course, know every action they took, but... Who were well, let, they? Let's what just they deal do? with the colonial yeah. part. Yeah, yeah. Not every action, but just, and you yes. mentioned that even in our texts before, yes. you're very aware of the colonial history yes. that is with us all the time. Tomorrow we're yes. celebrating Jamhuri, isn't it? So yeah. it, it, is, it is with us all the time. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I don't know if I have fully made peace with it. I think it's still a struggle, internal struggle. There's still tension there. Um, and I question it all the time. But I think. I think open discussions like this are actually quite helpful and to to speak to people as people engage on that and talk about okay this is this is the history where are we now what how do we but yeah it is it is tricky and <laughs> I think it's very complex often Can um, I ask you a question related to that? do you ever have there ever been a time where you felt like you overcompensated or wanted to overcompensate because you do carry that history with you in a way that maybe you wouldn't have if you were um, black overcompensate I don't know. Like, I'll give you an example. For for me as a black person, something I carry in the U.S. is stereotypes or assumptions that I may not, shouldn't be in the room, right? So when I speak, I'm sometimes very careful about the words that I choose or the accent that I use or the, you know, the tonation in my voice because I'm very aware of how people are perceiving me. I I suppose, I think you're probably right. I probably have swung into that and I don't know yeah it's probably a defense mechanism in part because these things do make you can make you uncomfortable and you there is that feeling of defensiveness like I'm being attacked here um but but do you uh, walk around with that a lot of the time half the time in Kenya or do you feel like most of the time you're just you 
I just try to be me. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're out like there that. rapping, so you got, I mean, you're also now a white rapper. I mean, you just really took that thing and the just ran talk. that, just ran it down the road. I mean, that's that's a big one to carry. I mean, I'm sure you're aware of that too, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. yeah that's, found me and do I yeah, just a go swimmer with we can go with. You can be a white swimmer. But then, you know, a white rapper, you're going to get questions there too. Yeah. So you must also be comfortable in that tension on yeah. some level, or else you'd make decisions that would keep you out of it, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah, He's I'm not saying anything else. He's the guy who invited <laughs> yes, me to yeah, it. You yeah, can meet yeah. him later. Yeah, no, uh, but again, <laughs> thanks for being complex. here. You're, 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 you're letting yourself be vulnerable to these questions, and I do appreciate it. Huda, do you have a response to that, too, about making peace? Yeah, um, and, it's, and your question is interesting, because even for me, in my early 20s, um, I was uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable to say that I'm Muslim because what did that all mean? Part of that um, female oppressive narrative had also seeped into my mind, right? We're not allowed to do this. We have tighter controls. We, you know. Um, and I got to the point where I was like, am I Muslim because I was born into a family that practiced this faith? But now that I'm an adult, what choice am I making for myself? And I felt that I needed to be informed and make a choice. And it became an interesting journey of reading. And not reading just theology, but reading history. I think that was the, the real sort of turning factor for me. Because theology, we all learned as kids, you know, like you go to Sunday school, we go to madrasa, um, and you're taught about you know, the, the pillars of your faith and, and sort of the ritualistic aspects of faith. But to understand how that then navigated the world, how did we get from that time historically to this present day? What were the shaping factors? And it was fascinating for me to actually read about how did Islam spread? How did it impact communities? How did it evolve? And also reading a little bit more into just human psychology and, and realizing that I do identify very much with the theology and the principles of the faith. And yes, I do not agree with human behavior and sort of the abuse of power that um, has been given to men in our societies. And our societies are, are patriarchal. Um, what I do to, so the first thing is to accept it, to acknowledge it, to accept it. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And then speak about it. I think it's been really therapeutic for me to just, um, and it's my nature, my sister will tell you, I, I, I just take things bang on. I'm not gonna shy away. Um, of course, you're gonna meet resistance, you're gonna meet a lot of denial, you're gonna meet people who are, trying to sugarcoat things and not want to go to that space because it's uncomfortable. People just generally want to move away from discomfort. But for society to change, you need to address the uncomfortable things. And so a lot of conversations. And over time, you find that the very same people who were not willing to listen to you five, 10 years ago, <laughs> um, you, did live an, you did live an impact. You prodded, you planted the seed, you made them stop. They may have challenged you on the spot 
and push back really hard, but you raised a furor. And it has an impact, whether or not you will see it immediately, but it is important to acknowledge and then address it so that it's not propagated further or for you to sort of get some closure, I think, around, around it. And then decide how you are gonna show up, how you are gonna address it, how you are gonna move forward, what are you gonna do as an individual to change that narrative, but don't run away from it. You have to meet it head on. Thanks for that. Thank you. That's such, such good, good, good advice here. Thank you all for being here tonight. Thank you for listening. Um, you know, this show is called Uproot because it's so many of our stories of moving in and out of cultures and places and histories. Um, but I always end with Wangari Mathai's very prophetic and beautiful words that you have to keep at it. Until it gets rooted, I think for me. Dear friends, thank you so much for listening to Uproot this year. We have a couple more episodes left in 2019, so keep listening, keep tuning in. But from the bottom of my heart, thank you for subscribing, for sharing Uproot with your friends, for sending in your ideas. This, this show only works because each of you have participated and supported, and I am so grateful. Thank you, Trademark Hotel and Village Market, for supporting the show and sponsoring our live anniversary show. You are the best, and I love being at Village, so thank you, thank you. For all of you who have subscribed, thank you. For those of you who haven't, please do. You can find me on all your favorite platforms. You can tweet at me, at Uproot and Lil, Facebook and Instagram, at Uproot the Podcast. And for all of you old schoolers out there, you can email me at uprootthepodcast at gmail.com. Calm. As we always close and say, you have to keep at it until it becomes rooted. And thank you for helping me root this show into the Nairobi sound space and broader into the world. I'm so grateful. Talk to you soon. <laughs>